I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independently owned and we do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself who know that in war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy. We must continue to tell the truth. Support us by purchasing your Necessary Blackness t-shirt by sending an email to NecessaryBlacknessPodcast at gmail.com. Check out MCJMusicCultureJournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out MusicCultureJournalism.com. Log on today. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognize no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. The Body Right Tonic is an all-natural detoxer infused with 15 alkaline herbs, seven of which are tonic herbs. The Body Right Tonic is good for anyone suffering from high blood pressure, diabetes, low immunity, or abnormal menstrual cycles. Get you some tonic, man. Visit us at prettywitchy.com or you can check us out at prettywitchy or Body Right Tonic on IG. Be well. Peace. Peace and power, Black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, we're going to talk about economic empowerment in the Black community. But before we get into our topic of discussion, I want to talk about what's going on in Black America, what's going on in pop culture as it pertains to Black America. And the latest news is your boy, R&B singer Tank. Now, Tank appeared on lip service with Angela Yee. And Angela Yee has a podcast. It's called Lip Service, and it's curated by several females. And they ask provocative questions, and a lot of the questions have sexual undertones. Um, I don't know... What was the origin of the question asked? But apparently, 
R&B singer Tank believe that if a man give another man fellatio twice, then he doesn't like it no more. He's not gay. Whoo, boy. I'm going to play that clip for you. I'm going to let you hear that clip, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to discuss it. Okay, yeah, so I just sucked a dick twice. And, and this, is a, this is twice is twice is excessive. Okay. Oh, so now it's no, excessive. No, but, but let's dig into it, right? Okay, <laughs> that sucked, he did. He sucked the dick once, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "I'm not sure if I liked it or not." Let you know me try it again. Let me try it mm-hmm. again. And then he says, "You know what? It's not for me. Don't like the taste." You see what I'm saying? Don't so like the taste. We're not talking about chicken. We talking about dick in his jaw. How you made a bar out of chicken and dick? Because she's an artist at heart. Natural comes natural. But it doesn't mean he's gay. It means he sucked dick twice. Okay. So just for the sake of your argument, that's okay. I got you. So that is Tank in his own words, ladies and gentlemen. That's him. Now, I want you to all be mindful that this is not the first time that Tank has been involved in a scandal. If you remember back in 2017, right before he dropped his album titled Savage, there was DMs that surfaced of him in a conversation with a transgender. And in this conversation, he asked the transgender... Where's more where that came from? The transgender responded back, I'll have it for you later today. Put your eyes back in your head. Laugh out loud. He replied, I'll try. Laugh out loud. For me, well, not needed. I mean, it would be nice. He asked, where are you? Chicago, where are you? He responded back, ATL. Now, they show a screenshot of the transgender who got 1.1 million followers. Uh, The description for the transgender in the bio, it says, the unicorn with an invisible horn. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. The unicorn with a visible horn, a.k.a. Cotton on Star. Yeah. Black Twitter will always find the receipts. So this was in 2017. We are now in 2019. Uh, Tank has an album that's coming out called Elevation. A lot of people are saying that this is his last dish to promote his forthcoming album because he's on a promotional tour and this will only help him sell albums. Now, I know a lot of gimmick schemes and scams uh, that individuals use to promote albums. Tank, this ain't one of them. But... I digress. The only thing I don't like about the whole situation is that when black Twitter do what black Twitter do, you know, they call a spade a spade. So they was calling him out for his comments. And um, he made a video, which I'm not even going to say a rebuttal or that he even tried to clear it up and say his comments was taken out of context. He just went on a rant that really meant nothing and didn't explain nothing. Did more to promote his album than anything else. So we're going to play that. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. I said what I said. <laughs> Y'all so goddamn homophobic. You got to watch the whole clip in, in any event. 
It's just, homophobia is real, let me just tell you that. It's just as real as racism, classism, all of these things, and just as damaging. And it plagues our community the worst. Um, that's, you know, you, you, this, can't be, this can't be used as a negative. You can't use a human being's existence as a negative. We're going through enough shit. You know what I'm saying? We're going through enough. Like, you don't do that. Like, I get it. You want to call me gay, whatever. I, I don't have to defend that to you or to anybody. You don't have that power over me. But um, let's get back to positivity, man. Okay, that's enough explaining. It's obvious that there's sugar in the tank. <laughs> but in any event, you know, what people got to stop doing is when you make statements that are self-indictment on yourself and a lifestyle that you live and you put it out publicly, people are going to speak about it publicly. Some people are in agreement with it. Some people may not be in agreement with it. You're going to get this backlash. And when you do get that backlash, especially when it concerns homosexuality, you cannot call everybody homophobic. You can't do that. And that is what I don't like about the situation. He has a right to be who he wants to be, live his life. Um, he does have a fiance. He does have children. But in 2019, we are living in a peculiar time where that doesn't matter. Malik Yo will prove that. So we know what it is. Tank has an album out, Elevation. He's promoting it. I would love to see the first week sales on that album. See if his fans are still rocking with him. But that ain't none of my business. Now, let's get back down to business. According to CNN, Amber Geiger's lawyer filed paperwork for a possible appeal for her murder conviction. And the appellate attorney has filed the paperwork to preserve the ability to appeal her murder conviction and sentence. Uh, according to the state of Texas, you have 30 days by the statute to file a notice or attempt to appeal. So the lawyer has filed that appeal. That doesn't mean that she is going to actually appeal the conviction, but I will bet my bottom dollar that she will appeal it. If she was able to get leniency from the trial court with these right-wing appellate court judges, then there is a high probability that her conviction will be overturned. This is something that's very unfortunate. Uh, the article goes on to state that she is serving a 10-year sentence at Mountain View Prison in Gatesville, Texas. And she is eligible for parole on September 29, 2024. So just imagine, next year is 2020. In four more years, she will be eligible for parole. She will be out of prison. And if she appeals it, she may be out quicker than we believe. 
So that is the latest news that is going on and what people are talking about on social media. I have posted it on my social media, on my Instagram, and on my Facebook, as well as my Twitter. If you're not following me, please, ladies and gentlemen, go to at Raheem Shabazz, and you can find me on all social media platforms. So now what we're going to do is we're getting ready to go to a real quick, this is going to be quick, commercial break. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about black empowerment in the black community and how we can be financially and economically stable. Where we came from back in the Reconstruction time up into now and what was the financial ability of black people in the 1800s? What is the financial situation of black America in 2019. Stay tuned, family. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool of Cultivated Roots Media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. This is Shirley. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on a Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Okay, we are back, family, from our quick commercial break. And I just want to implore everybody to make sure you get a copy of Elementary Genocide 1, 2, and 3. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at Raheem Shabazz. And also, I've been getting a lot of people asking me how can they support the podcast. Many of y'all already purchased your Necessary Blackness Podcast t-shirt. You can cash app us. At money sign Raheem Shabazz and send a little donation because we are independent black media and we do not rely on corporate sponsorships or corporate donors. We are for the people by the people. So let's get down to today's topic, which is about economic empowerment. And I want to start off with a quote from our brother. 
Malcolm X, who said that we suffer from political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. You heard that political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. Now, we have to look back at history because history best rewards our research. And when we look back at history, we look back at our economic power and what the black dollar can do. And when we look back, we have to go back to December 1st of 1955, which was the day of the beginning of the most successful boycott in Montgomery, Alabama, led by Martin Luther King. Now, this was the beginning of a 13-month boycott. It wasn't like Gucci, Prada, and H&M, where we just raved online about our disdain for these companies and what they're doing to us. And a couple of people boycotted and it might last a week, the most, a month, and then everything went back to normal. This was strategically planned. It lasted for 13 months, and it helped to end the Supreme Court ruling on segregation for public transportation. Now, the main key factor and takeaway from this boycott is that 90% of Montgomery black citizens was a part of this boycott. 90%. That's a high figure. And when we look at that 90%, That's 40,000 black citizens in Montgomery, Alabama. We can't get 90% of people to agree on one common cause and to stay on cold. So you have to juxtapose what was the mindset of our people back then and what was the mindset and what is the mindset of our people today. Now, 40,000 is not a lot of people when you look at the makeup of foundational black Americans here. So we have the power to make substantial amount of change, but we have to be on one accord. That don't mean that we have to all have the same belief system, because as I tell you, we don't have to be uniform and our belief to be unified in our struggle for liberation, for freedom, justice, and equality. The boycott was a success when you consider certain factors, and those factors are that their demands was met. Not only did they demand that blacks not be relegated to the back of the bus, but to have black bus operators work in predominantly black neighborhoods or black routes. So it just wasn't about integration and being able to sit on a bus next to white people. No, they realized their economical power and they said, you know what? These buses are in our community. We want black bus drivers operating these buses. Those demands was met. Why? Because they showed forth that their political power and they was unified and they struggled. That's what we need to do today. It's very important that we look at the date 
that ended the actual boycott. That date was December 20th, 1956, which is very significant because that's five days before America's biggest holiday, which is White Christmas. You got to understand that they wanted this boycott to end because it would affect their bottom line if black folks was not using public transportation to go downtown to these lily white stores. Because you got to remember, family, back then, a lot of black people were celebrating that pagan holiday, as many of y'all still do today. But I digress. So let's go back a little further than that. When we look at the numbers, we understand that black folks was 80% of the skilled labor that was coming out of slavery. Today, we are only 2% of the actual skilled laborer. That is a problem because we have to rely on other people when we don't have the necessary skilled labor to build houses, to fix cars, to do certain things that require skills. We need to bring that back. If we was 80% of the skilled labor and we're only 2% as of today, who are the skilled laborers? I'll tell you who they are. They're the immigrants, the dockers, the same individuals that the Democratic Party is going tooth and nail to protect and to fight for, to come over here and to receive the same resources that our civil rights guaranteed, but we don't get it. Because now we're only 2%. So we're pushing ourselves out of the labor market by not having the necessary skills to do certain jobs. And not only that, we are fighting for other people to come in and take these actual jobs that should be for us. And what we have to realize is that we don't have the politicians that we need in office. We need more politicians like Maynard Jackson. If you go back and you study Maynard Jackson when he was mayor of Atlanta in 1973, he became the first mayor, the first black mayor. And we done had, I think it was one, two, three, three black mayors or four black mayors since then. But he was the first. And what he did within six years of being in office is he made sure that contracts went to black businesses because when he took office, only 1% of contracts went to black businesses. So within six years of him being in office, that number rose from 1% to 24%. This increased the number of black millionaires in Atlanta. And today, Atlanta has more black millionaires per capita than any other state. Why? Because he understood that any money given from the federal government or the state or contract should be allotted to the people that was in the city. So the city of Atlanta became the black mecca where black businesses was able to thrive because now they had contracts and they was able to expand their businesses and open up more businesses. And this black dollar began to circulate here in Atlanta. There was many other hotbed states that had large demographics of black people that tried to replicate what he was doing. When you go and you look at Detroit, 
back then when they had Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, he put forth a proposal to have a district within the city of Detroit where it was going to be called Africa Town that was to be financed by $30 million from three casinos. You know what happened? This proposal was vetoed by city council. Not only was it vetoed by city council, he received so much backlash and criticism from immigration groups that were saying that this was racist and it was reverse racism and they threatened to file a lawsuit. The same immigrants who are now benefiting from the civil rights bill are the ones that are circumventing us from getting tangibles that are rightfully ours. So whenever we try to do anything, if it doesn't include immigrants, then it's reverse racism. We can't do nothing or receive no tangibles that's specifically for foundational black Americans. That's why when you look at the ADOS movement, you have a lot of non-immigrants who are not foundational black Americans who always say reparation is not necessary. Reparations are, is not realistic. Or they might even use that reparations should come in the form of free education as if we ain't the most educated people on the planet. But I digress. Dr. Cloy Anderson told us a long time ago in his book, Powernomics, he said, soon we will not have enough wealth and power to be competitive. Because when we're dealing with economics, it's a competitive sport. So everybody is fighting for these resources. But when it comes to Black Foundation America, it's not about us receiving tangibles or specific resources. It's given to minorities. And minorities can mean anybody that is non-white and not a Caucasian male. So if you're not a Caucasian male... You can be Mexican, you could be Chinese, you could be Asian, you could be from El Salvador, you could be any other ethnic group. As long as you're not a white male, you are considered a minority, and these are where the resources go. And guess what? Black folks are at the bottom. So that's why Chloe Anderson said we are locked in the economic structure, and we are known as a permanent underclass. And we are quickly becoming a permanent underclass, especially when we don't control the resources in our own community. So in concluding this podcast, family, what can we do to control the economics in our own community? How can we better be advised to control the businesses and operate and own businesses is by pooling our resources together, community economics. Also, we must have several different streams of income. One of those main streams of income should be an investment, whether it's in a property, whether it's in real estate, because the average millionaire has seven streams of income. Many of y'all don't even have two streams of income. So we got a lot of work to do. You have to look at what is viable right now. The cannabis industry is booming. We are being locked out of that because many of us are not knowledgeable of how to get into the industry. And there are several workshops that are specific for Black Foundation Americans on how to get into this cannabis industry. 
Uh, we need to invest in marijuana stocks because the cannabis and the medical uh, marijuana market right now is a $7 billion industry. How much of that are we controlling? That's the question. So we got a lot of homework to do. I have to run out right now, so I'm going to end this podcast. But next week, I'm going to have a special guest to come in and speak. We're going to be talking more about black economics. We're going to also be doing a special podcast on credit repair and how to get your business and personal credit up because credit is very important, family. I put up a post on uh, Instagram where I said that you will never see a riot in a neighborhood where the average citizen has a 700 credit score. You know why? Because they're not economically depressed. (laughs) There's no social degradation going on there. They're living their life and they're able to feed and provide for their family and they are circulating the dollars within their community. We need in each and every neighborhood an average credit score for each citizen to be at least 700. So we got a lot of work to do. I'm going to end this podcast Um, next week. Like I said, we will be back. I want everybody to make sure you follow us on Instagram, at Raheem Shabazz. You follow us on Facebook. Follow us on YouTube. YouTube is very important. I don't be on YouTube a lot. I just post um, the podcast there. But what we're going to start doing is we're going to start going live on YouTube. We're going to start taking calls next week. We, Matter of fact, we're going to start taking calls. So you'll be able to call in live and direct and speak to me, speak to the guests, and we're going to chop it up, family. Peace and power. This is Raheem Shabazz. I'm out of here.